Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. Number 14. Also, just a reminder, if you plan on going to uh, our Indiana District Camp, I know some people might think that's weird, but we're part of Indiana District, although we're in Illinois. But if you plan on going to that, please register. Please sign your name back there so we know who uh, we are responsible for. Amen. First Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 14, just one verse of scripture here. Last week we talked about uh, keeping rank, and this morning I want to talk to you about not quitting, okay? The Bible says, now we exhort you, brethren, warn them that are unruly, comfort the feeble-minded, support the weak, be patient toward all men. I'll do the same as I did last week. I'll read it twice since it's just so small. Now we exhort you, the Apostle Paul talking to the Thessalonica church, we exhort you, brethren, warn them that are unruly. We dealt with that last week. Comfort the feeble-minded. Support the weak. Be patient toward all men. And this morning, I do desire to talk to you about not quitting. Have you ever felt like quitting on anything? I mean, it could be anything. Just ever felt like quitting? And sometimes, yes, that even delves into the life of the church. People at times feel like giving up, quitting, throwing in the towel. Just washing your hands of it all. And I want to encourage you, comfort you this morning. Not to do that. Not to quit. Lord Jesus, I come to you today. I'm grateful, Lord, for being here, standing in this place. I felt your presence, Lord, already. I pray, oh God, that you're able to help us, Lord, in the next little while. That, Lord, your word could go forth, Lord Jesus, and speak into our lives and speak into our hearts. Help us, God, to hear, Lord, what the Spirit may be saying in this place today. God, give us the courage, Lord, to embrace it. I pray, O Lord, and apply it, God, appropriately. And will not fail, Lord Jesus, to thank you, Lord, when it's said and done. In the lovely name of Jesus Christ that I pray. Amen and amen. The church say amen. 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 You may be seated this morning. If you will remember from last week, and those of you that were not here just what I'm about to say, you're not going to be lost in the process of anything because I'm referring to last week. But if you remember from last week, the church of Thessalonica was focused primarily, if you remember, Thessalonians in general, was focused on the coming of the Lord, his return, the day of the Lord. Insomuch that some, some believers of the Thessalonian church had thought that perhaps it had already taken place. But here's something interesting concerning all of this. In spite, in spite of there being minds that, that were entertaining the thought of the day of the Lord, the coming of the Lord, the second coming, in spite of all those that were uh, overwhelmed and, and totally just uh, had no other focus, as it would seem, except that, we still see among all of these masses of people, there were still several that were scattered in their commitments. And almost, it almost just seems a little imbalanced in actuality to think that there could be such a big grouping so 
so focused, so wrapped up in the idea of the day of the Lord, the second coming of the Lord, that there would actually be some that would still be scattered in their commitments, thinking that, you know, he could come and yet not be committed. Otherwise, Paul would have never made the address that he did in verse number 14 and exhort the church and the brethren and those that he was speaking to to take action toward the unruly and the feeble-minded and the weak and to make a general urge for us to have patience toward all men. What I learned from this very quickly is this. It tells me that no matter how evident the coming of the Lord may be, to some, there are others where its bearing is quite slight and even non-existent to them. That while we may say, well, the Lord's coming, he's coming back, it's close. You can see the signs all around you and there's enough indicators and, and demarcations out there that point to the fact that the Lord is coming back. And while we may take those cues and it might heighten our interest and our awareness, there are others that's just kind of like... Amen. So it's evident to some and maybe not as evident to, to others or perhaps they do not wish to embrace the evidence that the Lord is coming back. Because the point, I believe, in many of these regards is not, it's not ignorance. Because there's many that even I will talk to that will tell me that the Lord is coming back. It's not ignorance. What the concern, I believe, really is, is their condition. Not their ignorance, but their condition. They believe that he is coming back for everyone and anything. <laughs> Therein lies the problem. The Bible says in Revelations 19 and verse number 7, a man, John, has put his pen to page and he's been given revelation by God, things that are even still yet to happen. And he is speaking of an hour still ahead of us. And he says, let us be glad in verse 7, Revelation 9 and 7, let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him for the marriage of the lamb is come. And his wife hath made herself ready. In other words, Christ's wife, the Lamb's wife, the church, hath made herself ready. What that tells me is this, is that the church that Christ will marry is not going to be then the unruly church. The church that Christ marries is not going to be the feeble-minded church. Not going to be the weak church. He's going to marry a made-ready church. As a matter of fact, both words, the word made and the word ready, come from the very exact same Greek word that means to prepare or to provide. They come from a word that means adjusted. It, it kind of refers to a little bit of an internal type of fitness. It's said that she, the church, hath made herself ready. She has, she has prepared. She's adjusted. She's done the internal fitness so to speak. And so we may have a little problem with wrestling with this idea to consider that his wife hath made herself ready, but we don't whenever verse number eight tells us, and to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white, for the linen is the righteousness of the saints. And things might be going through your mind. You might be thinking of Ephesians, how the Bible tells us that we are saved by grace through 
faith, and that is true. But taking the whole counsel of God, we understand James also tells us that without with that faith without works is also dead. But then the Bible also tells us that God has dealt to every man a measure of faith or a capacity of faith. So if you're saved by grace through faith, right? That faith, though, is not a living faith unless it's a faith that has works. Mm-hmm. And that faith came to you anyway because God dealt you a measure a faith or a capacity for faith to begin with. That's where everybody says, well, Brother McGee, if you say the church has to make yourself ready, we don't get into this body of Christ, become a bride of Christ because we worked to get there. I agree with you, but you got to prepare. Well, if I prepare, that's doing work. That's fine. But your faith is invalid. It's void. It's nothing if you don't have work. And you don't even have faith unless God gave you a measure to begin with. So it does all circle around being all on God to begin with. Because you couldn't even prepare with your faith if he didn't give you a measure of faith. <laughs> so faith without works is dead. Look what the Bible says in Philippians. Philippians 2 and verse number 12. This is a verse that I just touched on last week. He says, wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only. This is the Apostle Paul speaking to the church at Philippi. But now much more in my absence Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Some people just want to take that verse and just say, you know, we can't do that. We are saved. We are saved by grace through faith. Because it says work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. But let's not just isolate a verse. Let's go to verse 13. For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good Pleasure. Amen. So I work out my own salvation. But what I realize is what happening that the spirit of God that I have received has, is working in me both to will and to do his good pleasure. What is pleasing unto God. God is working inside of me. And if I will be in tandem, obedient to his will. His purpose will be provided in my life. And so the bride must make herself ready by the power of God that she has received, by the grace of God that she has experienced. How? By permitting the work of the Spirit, the work of the Holy Ghost that you've received if you've been born again of the water and the Spirit to allow that to work in you because here's the fact of the matter. You still have a will. You as an individual have a choice. That's something that God has never forced since the beginning of time with Adam and Eve. They always had a will. They always had a choice. And God will not force that. And so you, you working out your own salvation is you making a choice and a will to allow the spirit that you receive to do its work to fulfill its good pleasure in your life. Amen. Amen. And so this is the church that we're speaking of. Last week, we concentrated on the warning of the unruly, those that did not keep rank. But this morning, let us focus upon, if you will, comforting the feeble-minded. The word comfort here means to encourage the feeble-minded or to console the feeble-minded. And the feeble-minded, it's best, it's best rendered, not like necessarily something that has to do with the mentality, but it's best rendered the faint-hearted or the little sowed. The feeble-minded, to say it quite bluntly, the feeble-minded are the quitters. 
They're the quitters. They're the ones that whenever they give up, whenever things get tough. They're the quitters. They're the ones that have to be inspired to fulfill their duties or their, their, their vocation in the body of Christ. But here is what I find to be the, the real situation concerning these types. And that is this. These feeble-minded are usually those that have a low opinion of themselves. A low opinion of themselves. In other words, they know what needs to be done, but they don't believe they have the ability to do it. Many of them have failed in their minds before they ever give anything a chance. It's happened here. Whenever they say I'm a failure, it's not because they failed. It's because they've never even attempted. They failed right here. And since they don't think they can, what happens? You ever tried to persuade a child to do something whenever they were convinced in their mind they couldn't do it? What do they do? They don't do it. Unless you can be very persuasive. And start saying, well, if you do this, I'll give you this. <laughs> and start going down the line there, you know. But it is a ploy. I want you to just know this morning that it, it happens for us in the church. It is a ploy of the enemy. If we go back to last week, if he can't make you outright rebel, be unruly against the will of God or what you should be doing, then he'll convince you you can't do the will of God. Mm-hmm. If he can't cause somebody just to be rebellious toward it, Amen. Just outright, just no. All the, you know, just, just totally annihilate it and set it aside. He'll just try to convince us that we can't do it. Amen. And whenever we can't do it, what happens is this. Those things that we've been asked to do, it causes us to hesitate. It causes us many times to be inactive all together. Even things of the scripture, even the things of God's word. We've had a, a lot of things. It could be praise and worship that the, the Bible admonishes in scripture. Some people are just flat rebellious about it. Other people are convinced in their minds, well, if I, I'll do it wrong. Yeah, I, I'll do it wrong. Prayer. You know, somebody never prayed a day in their life. The devil will try to, try to somehow influence them. Whenever you start praying, you won't, you won't say it right. And so, Brother Malone, if he can get them to think that they'll fail at what he's asking them to do, I'm not going to do it. Because I don't want to be an idiot. Huh? This is what the enemy plants in the minds. And as a result of it, we hesitate. And then by hesitating or not doing, we miss the benefits of the activity. We miss the benefits of the activity. Amen. And so we got, we got, I'm here this morning to comfort the feeble-minded. I'm here to encourage and console those that feel like quitting or maybe never even starting because you're convinced that you can't do it. You're convinced you can't be successful. Some people will not even start a life or a journey with the Lord because you know what? I'm probably going to fail. Well, you know what? Join the fail club because we've all failed. Look at any 50-year model Christian, and their story's going to be they failed. But folks, I'd rather fail trying than fail by never even starting. Yeah. On, Amen. Hallelujah. I read an article, and it referred to a book, The Technique of Building Personal Leadership. It's an old book, 1944, by Donald A. Lard. Story goes like this that whenever diamonds were first discovered in the rich Kimberley fields, there were Dutch and English and native 
Kaffirs, they were called, started digging excitedly, but also very easily. The diamonds were found in a undreamed of abundance in a very softish yellow ground. It was easy digging for them to dig this yellow ground. It was rich with rewards. Men were making back in that day. And so this was 1944 when the book was written. So we're talking about quite some time ago. They were making hundreds of dollars a day, which would really have been good for them in that moment. Hundreds of dollars a day. And their little claims, they had 30, a 31 square foot claim that they would dig and, and get some of these diamonds from. But as they were continuing, the soft yellow earth was finally all removed and the diamond diggers came to a layer of what looked like a bluish colored dirt. And their shovels that they were using could even scarcely scratch the ground of that blue earth, that blue dirt. It was so very hard in comparison to the easy, easy digging that they had before. And so they said to one each, each other, well, you know, I guess the diamonds must have all been in the yellow ground. Because it was so easy, you know, and it was easy to shovel. And so the pay dirt must be gone. We must have done what we could do to get all the diamonds from the yellow soil. And so there was a young Englishman that was, that was going through South America, Africa rather, at this time uh, to, to, cure, uh, to get a cure for tuberculosis. And as he was walking through these little tiny claims of 31 square feet that these men had, he bought out all of these miners that had mined all these diamonds in the, in the yuff. The, the, the yellow rather soil that was easy to work and uh, he, that didn't like to work though in that blue stuff thought it was all gone and he got their claims for small sums of money and for these sums of money he got the richest diamond deposits in all the world because the real diamond deposits were in the blue dirt which was so hard to work and when the Englishman died at 48 years old which was still a young man he left behind an enormous fortune of more than 30 millions of dollars. His name was Cecil Rhodes because he dug when the digging got too hard for others to dig. I think I've been on a theme here just for a couple of services. And I, the fact of the matter is, you know, the saying really is, is when the going gets tough, the tough get going. And going doesn't mean living, leaving. Going means digging in. I, I'm telling you this morning, I know sometimes we paint, you know, with all the bright colors in the church. Man, if you come to the Lord, everything's going to be great. You know, that's a lie. Okay? That's a flat out lie. You're still going to get sick. You're still going to have financial problem. You're still going to have things that come into your family you don't understand. You're still going to experience everything you'd experience if you didn't have God. But the difference is you'll have God. So if you're saying I can't, you, well, you wouldn't be able to just to live life because there's going to come the very same things down the pike in the church or outside of the church. It doesn't matter what the terrain is. You're going to hit some blue soil from time to time. But if the spade isn't working, that doesn't mean you quit. That means you just find another way to make it. This is not the hour for the church to quit. This is not the hour for saints to give up and throw in their hands and say, well, I've been doing this for 10 years and it's been rough. No, no, honey. That's the time that you need to lean in and that's the time you need to sharpen your spade. That's the time you need to take another plunge. It's, it's not quitting time. It's starting time. Thomas Edison tried 6,000 substances before he found the right one to be a filament in the light bulb. He tried 28,000 things in order to find a substance for lead in storage batteries. 
And yet this was his comment among and through all that. He said, nearly every man who develops an idea works it up to the point where it looks impossible. He said, then becomes discouraged. He said, that's the time to become interested. Huh? Huh? Whenever I see it, Bishop, whenever I see it, and I think concerning that comment throughout Scripture, things seem to always look impossible. Things always seem to be very discouraging through the characters of the Bible right before God stepped in on the scene. I see it time and time again. It's where the doctors, it's where the woman has suffered many things and many physicians, and yet, huh? Lost everything that, boom, God steps in. It's all these, it's Peter sinking on the water, crying out for help, and God steps in. It's all these scenarios of life where things got as were as bad as it could get, the darkest night could ever come. But honey, when it's the darkest, the light shines the brightest. And I'm here to encourage the feeble-minded this morning. You can make it. You can go through. God is fighting for you, pushing back the darkness. In the name of Jesus, enemy is defeated. We're going to shout it out. Someone say hallelujah. Here to comfort the feeble-minded. Comfort the feeble-minded. <laughs> It's, it's the Israelites that are enduring the, reg, the rigor of, the, of making brick without straw and keeping the same quota day by day. That's getting too much. That's a lot to ask of them. But in that moment, they just didn't need to stop. They needed to go ahead and give it another try. Why? Because Moses is on the horizon as a deliverer for God's people. Wasn't a time to quit. It's the Job that's standing there that's lost family and health and riches, amen, and lost even everything as livestock. And the Bible says there's a whirlwind, the Scripture says. Job has already defiled his horn in the dust, and there's a whirlwind. But the Bible says in that moment from that windy vortex, God spoke from the whirlwind. I'm telling somebody today, it's not time to quit. It's not time to be feeble-minded. It's not time to grow overwhelmed. You need to put your anchor in the thing that brought you to the point where you are and understand if it brought me this far it can take me the rest of the way don't quit I'm sorry here I'm getting a little excited this morning it may, it may by and large it might even get worse but it's not over. Remember, there is a healthy balance, folks, within the church or should be within the church. And that is when we take responsibility for each other, you know, consider other people's needs outside of your own, but at the same time, also, we've got to take responsibility for ourselves. So there's a, there's a, there's a balance you've got to strike. Being attentive to others and also being attentive to yourself. I love when people would attend to me. Well, I can't say I love it. It actually makes me feel a little odd. People trying to attend to me, you know, probably personality thing, okay? If they try to, if people try to do stuff for me, it makes me feel odd. God bless them. I'd rather be the one doing the thing. That's just me. But, Brother Fred. 
There's times that we have to be done for and times that we have to do, and both are important. Consider the character of Scripture, David. David, in Scripture, 1 Samuel 23, has just recently become a fugitive for his life. The slaying of the 85 priests that have been killed by Doeg has already happened. Saul has been chasing David day after day. He's very persistent in this chase. And David has just been getting by. He's been elusive just by the skin of his teeth, so to speak. He's been living his life kind of, if you would call it, constantly with his eyes peering over his shoulders, wondering when the next chase is going to ensue. He has, according to Scripture, already. Samuel has already been to his house in chapter 16. He has a kingly anointing placed upon his life. But there's no materializing kingship for his life. So if you want to talk about discouragement, talk to David. If you're entertaining quitting, talk to David. He's got a kingly anointing, but he don't have no kingship. There's there's nothing any more uh, frustrating, yes, than to have the goods. But not have the position to function with the goods that you've been given. And the Bible says it's in this moment. In 1 Samuel 23 and verse 16. Look at this now. And Jonathan, Saul's son, arose. Remember, he and David's souls would become knit. And went to David into the wood. And notice the words. And strengthened his hand in God. The Message Bible says it like this. Encouraged him in God. Jonathan went to David. He's a fugitive. He's, he, he's anointed to be king. Saul's king. But the king that is prior to him or before him, his predecessor is chasing him. That's discouraging. <laughs> Got all this going on. And Saul says, let me be the body. And let me comfort the feeble-minded. David, if you're... If you're even contemplating quitting or if you feel like because of everything that's going on this is not swinging and you're I'm here to strengthen your hand in God I'm here to encourage you great job Jonathan hoorah for Jonathan we are so thankful for him but here's the fact of the matter that's great to serve in the capacity of being mindful of others all right and David had that done for him by Jonathan but there are other times when there will not be anyone else to take responsibility for you Except you. I'm just telling you the truth. Sometimes even, I know we have modern day communication. You can text, you can social media, you can phone call. But there are some times there is, there is just no other venue but you. David came to that point in time in his own life. Many of you know exactly where I'm going. In 1 Samuel 30, verse number 6, the Bible says that David was greatly distressed. For the people spake of stoning him. These are people that he led, people that he guided, people that were his friends. Because the soul of the people was grieved. Their city had been destroyed with fire. Their wives and children had been taken by the adversary. Every man for his sons and for his daughters. But David, in other words, everybody's turned against David in this moment. Those who are now his friends have seemingly almost become his foe. But David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. So we have one episode in David's life. Someone came and encouraged him, strengthened his hand in the Lord. 
But see, there's another scenario in David's life. There's nobody around him going to be doing any encouraging. He's going to have to encourage himself in the Lord. Because at this moment, he's being blamed for everything that is negative, everything that's happened to their families, everything that's happened to them. And so David encourages himself in the Lord. And so I don't want just to stand up here this morning and tell the feeble-minded, you just wait till somebody comes by to lift up your hand, although that is needful and necessary, and it should happen. But there might be some days you're just going to have to feel around and find your bootstraps and pull up by the power of God. Everybody doing okay? Oh, I'm glad you love me. Oh, great. Thank God. Because here's the situation in that matter, what I see happen sometimes. Well, then no one contacted me. Nobody called me. Nobody said anything. Nope. And so we'll make our feeble-mindedness become a victim mentality. That we would be doing better off if they would be doing what they're supposed to be doing. I understand that. We need that, and that should happen. But what you must realize and put into this cranium up here is this. There are days there's not going to be anybody. not going to be anybody and so you're going to have to feel around until you find that and you're going to have to pull up as some people say you got to put your big pants on your big boy pants someone say amen there'll be days we'll be there to blow wind in yourself but there's some days you're going to have to amen that doesn't minimize our responsibility but neither do our part minimize your responsibility. Amen? Bishop, there were, there were days and six years of evangelism. I had to know where my bootstraps were. I didn't come to church with all the family, church family. No, we went to strange churches. And I do mean that literally and figuratively. Sometimes you had to deal with your feeble-mindedness all by yourself. And whenever I say that, I am not, I'm not negating the fact that the Lord is there. He is there. He strengthened himself in the Lord. Amen. But it's important, folks, today to, to deal with the feeble-minded or the faint-hearted the reason why it's important to comfort them or important that something be done is this. It's particularly important whenever the feeble-minded or the faint-hearted, watch me now, are vocal ones. See, some people will just deal with all the feelings inside of them like quitting, I'm no good and I can't do this, and they'll just deal with all that eternally. But then there's other ones that get vocal about all that. This ain't ever going to change anyway. Vocal about it. They'll talk to them. I tell you what, it's been rough, and it's been rough around here, and it's probably not going to get any better. I even don't know. <laughs> Before Israel, this is Old Testament law in Deuteronomy. Before Israel would go into battle. And this is the reason why it's important to deal with the feeble mind, the faint hearted, because particularly whenever it's the vocal ones. They have a way of taking their insecurities and then making them everybody's insecurity. 
Before Israel would go into battle, the priest carefully and persistently would address the fears and the faint hearts of the warriors of Israel. As a matter of fact, there were just a few reasons that exempted a person from battle. Deuteronomy 20 bears it out. Something, some of the things that might exempt somebody from a battle was if they had built a house and they've not yet dedicated it, they could go home to take care of that business. Or if they planted a vineyard and they've not yet ate from it, they could go home. Or if they were, were betrothed or engaged to a wife and not taken her yet, they could go home. And then finally, the final thing that was in the list is this, is if they were fearful or faint-hearted. The Bible says in Deuteronomy 20 and verse number 8, And the officers shall speak further unto the people, and they shall say, What man is there that is fearful and faint-hearted? Let him go and return unto his house. Look at it now. Lest his brethren's heart faint as well as his heart. Why would that happen? Because of a vocal, feeble-minded person. A vocal, feeble-minded person. Gideon took the exact same approach with the men that was given to him to be victorious. Remember, his number reduces down to 300. One of those reducing agents was this. He said, anyone that is afraid, go home. Why? Because it wasn't just the fact that they're afraid, but it's the fact that they then became a vulnerability to everybody. So Paul exhorts the church... Comfort the feeble-minded unless why? Huh? Because unless they are comforted or at best silenced, if they're the vocal feeble-minded, they're going to impact the views and the hearts of others that are around them. See, it's the age-old setback that started all the way back when the children of Israel were going to go into the land of promise the first time. Huh? The first time. Moses in Deuteronomy 1 is recounting the story of the first time they were going to go across the Jordan into the land of promise. And he says in verse 28, recounting this, remembering that, he said they were saying, whether shall we go up? Our brethren have discouraged our heart, saying, the people is greater and taller than we. The cities are greater, great and walled up to heaven. And moreover, we have seen the sons of the Anakims there. See? Something happens when you have a vocal quitter. A little, please, I am not being vicious this morning, but something happens when you have a little sowed loudmouth. It impacts the people that are around them. It says, our brethren have discouraged our heart, saying, what they say for instance numbers 13 and verse 33 the bible says this is back when the instance took place and there we saw the giants the sons of anak which which come of the giants and we were in our own sight as grasshoppers and so we were in their sight here's the feeble-minded here's the one with a low opinion of themselves that believe they don't have the ability to do what's been asked of them to do And what happens is this then. In their mind, here it is, in their mind, everyone sees me then as I see myself. Huh? We, we, were grass, we were in our own sight as grasshoppers, and so we were in their sight. I don't think I can do it, and so everyone thinks they don't think I can do it either. 
<laughs> Someone say amen. And what it comes down to is this. Sometimes it's not that a vocal, faint-hearted person really sometimes is speaking their own securities, but what they think others think. Which is based upon what? What they think. So Israel is afraid to go forward. And this is what baffles me more than anything because we get the bird's eye view of, of Scripture. You know, they're stuck in that moment, but we have the bird's eye view of Scripture. And so while Israel is afraid to go forward, the enemy is afraid that they would go forward. What are you saying, Brother McGee? Is while you are thinking about quitting, the devil's hoping that you will because he's afraid what you might do if you go on. Somebody hear me today. I was over here in prayer just yesterday. I wrote it down. I pinned it down. Felt like the Spirit spoke, spoke to me, or just, not necessarily directly to me, but for the purpose of just speaking. And this is what I felt like the Spirit said. It said, the devil may not know your future, but he can observe potential. He might not know the future of Josh and Sarah Johnson or the future of Robert Gross. He don't have that knowledge. That He don't have that knowledge of your future. But he can from the present day see potential just like anybody else can see in you. And that's enough to trouble him to try to annihilate your future. Somebody hear me today? In other words, the devil is on pins and needles over the potential he witnesses today in some of you. And that is driving him crazy because he's thinking if they carry through on the potential that's in them right now, they're going to go somewhere. They're going to be something. They're going to do great exploits for God. And so i got to cut that off at the past today. I don't know if it'll come true, but I see what's resident in them right now. So we're comforting the feeble-minded. Amen. So rather than entertaining the idea of quitting or being immobilized by fear and self-doubt and things of that nature, what you need to do this morning, just go on and remain being then your enemy's greatest threat one person said like this said if you're moving three steps backward let it be as a soccer ball player or somebody about ready to kick a kick a punt in football because the only purpose for that movement is to kick the ball further otherwise you're just taking three steps backward amen God is aware of the feeble-minded, the little-souled people. Whenever he led them out of Egypt, he took them, this is scripture, he took them the longer way, the longer route, even though there was a shorter route. Bears out in the scripture. In Exodus 13 and verse 17, the Bible says, and it came to pass when Pharaoh had let the people go, that God, this is when he, finally let them. I know he said it several times, but whenever he finally did it, God led them not through the way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, lest preadventure the people repent, or other words, change their mind, when they see war 
and they returned to Egypt. Meaning, God took them not the near route, but the long route. Because he didn't think their low self-esteem or thought of themselves could face the battles that they would face in possessing the land that soon of just coming out of bondage. And so he said, I'd rather take them then the long route and me have to perform the miraculous to get them across a Red Sea than for them to go the short route and come up against battles and chance think in their mind, you know what, I can't do this. I'll just go back to what I've always known, Egypt. What's God doing in that? He's being mindful of the feeble-minded. God wanted them to have the promised land so bad that he was willing to be patient with their anxieties, their fears, their second guesses. Why? So that they would someday inherit and possess the land of promise rather than succumb to just continued oppression that they had been in for years. What are you saying this morning? I'm telling you this. God doesn't want you to quit. He's patient. He is. He is patient. And I'm like, a, I'm like a coin that has two sides this morning, okay? He's patient, but he's not so patient. He's not willing to urge you to go and act whenever he feels like you're at a place you can. That's why when we finally come to the Red Sea on this other route, the Bible states these words, and I'm coming to a close, Brother Mason. Exodus 14 and verse 13, the Bible says, And Moses said, Moses said, Moses said unto the people, Fear ye not, stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will shew to you today. For the Egyptians whom ye have seen today, ye shall see them again no more forever. And that was true. Verse 14, The Lord shall fight for you, and ye shall hold your peace. Now look at verse 15. And the Lord said to Moses, Wherefore criest thou unto me? Speak unto the children of Israel that they go forward. <laughs> Moses was kind of being patient too, but God is finally throwing down the hammer. We've been patient long enough. It's time to move the responsibility. You're telling them, fear not. God's going to fight for you. Just stand still. He says, I'm telling you to tell them, get going. God's going to fight for you if you're moving. Some get stuck at the standstill spot. Oh, I can't. I can't do this. I just can't. I don't have the ability. Blah, 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 blah. Stand still. See the salvation. Just see the salvation. Just one of these days, the salvation. Mo had good intentions. He was doing right, but he heard from heaven. Heaven said, go forward. Red Sea in front of you. Go forward. So we've been comforting the feeble-minded, but now we've had people playing the responsibility of comforting, but now they need to find their bootstraps and go forward. What happened? The miraculous. They walked across on dry ground. Don't you think for a moment after that there was something in them that said, well, you know what, maybe we can do this, you know. Huh? If you'll stand with me this morning. I'm hoping somewhere today that someone will catch it in their own spirit. Think to themselves the next time that, oh, I just don't know. I don't know if I can.
that you'll just remember some other moment in your life where God was there and you walked on through and maybe you'll just say, you know what? Maybe we can do this. Maybe we can do this. Because the fact of the matter doesn't change. The Lord is coming. The Lord is coming. Folks, we don't want you quitting in the hour of his coming. We don't need you quitting in the hour of his coming. We don't need you to be fearful and afraid. And we don't need anybody to get vocal. And I, 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 I know we bear each other's burdens, but please, please don't be an influence to somebody else you know, around the church. You know what? We just, just things just ain't what it should be. I just don't know if we're going to ever get out of this spot. Bless God. Da, da, la, la, la. If you don't watch it, misery's going to join you. Yeah, you know what? I've been thinking the same thing. And then that starts to spread and that starts to spread. And then before you know it, I'm like Moses saying, God, don't strike them dead. I'll stand right here. Strike me instead and blot me out. It'll be okay. These people's going to get back on track. I'm, I'm a whole lot easier to deal with one vocal one, but you get me 50 of them. And I almost just joined the group. <laughs> you know. I sit down to dust and I pick my scabs. But we got to comfort one another. And yes, on some days when nobody else is around and it's just you and God, you're going to have to find it. You're going to have to open his word. You're, gonna have through, you're just going to have to find it. Receive that strength and that courage and that tenacity you need just to walk another step. Shove your spade in the ground one more time. Sharpen your tools, so to speak. Hallelujah. If we embow our heads in this place this morning. Hallelujah. I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. Hallelujah. These altars are open today. Paul said. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you and have a blessed day.